So every November, uh, and we're three weeks into it, we do this giving initiative every fall. And it's really important to us as a church, and we're right in the thick of it. And we do it because we want to come together as a church to come alongside people who need help. And we think that's who we need to be as a church, who we need to be as individuals, and hopefully what a lot of us are trying to be as families. And what we hope is that these three initiatives we kind of tangibly try and find ways to invest in will give us a chance to make a difference really without breaking the bank. We're doing Operation Christmas Child, and last week Clay kind of talked about how his personal involvement for that as a kid, and he still thinks about it today. And Lubbock Impact, you basically pack a shoebox. We have some down here at the front. Um, you pack a shoebox with some, some gifts, some appropriate gifts that send, sent to a child in a third world country. They receive that gift, but they're also enrolled in a program called The Greatest Journey where they learn about the good news of Jesus. And it's a tangible way to kind of make, to help them experience Christmas. And right now we have 170 boxes uh, that are yours for the taking. We'd like to get as many of those taken and then shipped out as possible. We're also doing these Lubbock hygiene uh, kits and, and those are down here. Right now we have 55 bags left and, and we, we're asking you to use the bag um, and you fill it up with the list that's on there. And these go to people uh, that Lubbock Impact serves. A lot of them are, are um, people that have a job, but they can't make ends meet. Providing for their family is being a tough challenge. So we're trying to help them by giving them a bag full of hygiene kit items that they can use and, and um, uh, put in their hands. The hygiene kit bags are down here, 55 left. We'd love to get all those filled. And next week is the week you're gonna return those. This week we're talking about how we're partnering with the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army has been in Lubbock for over 100 years. And their mission is, is, is really to do the most good. They wanna come alongside people who are hurting. Uh, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, he said, it's hard to help people have a change of heart toward Jesus when their bellies are empty. Like he want, when, when people are warm and they're, are, are cold and they're hungry, sometimes you need to make, meet their basic needs so they can understand their most important need. The Salvation Army has been, like I said, here for over 100 years. They try to do the most good. Here's all the different things they do. They do a number of things. Providing emergency shelter, feeding program, rapid rehousing when something goes wrong, rent and utility assistance, food vouchers, clothing vouchers, hygiene kits, cooling and warming stations, public showers. They also have Sunday school, worship services, and Bible studies. They're a great organization, and we love partnering with them. And so we have two kettles, one out in the foyer and one in kids' ministry to simply drop, drop some change in. And you guys are probably familiar with that. Every year you see the red kettle campaign that they do. And we start a little bit earlier uh, and, and have it here. Uh, their theme this year is hope marches on. And they're trying to do as much as they can to take some, some money in to help people pay bills, meet their needs, and connect to a faith community. So in addition to doing that, you can put coins in there, save them, bring them up. Uh, up until next week. The other thing we do is we have a QR code you can scan to be a bell ringer. I've done this the last three years and it's one of my favorite parts of Christmas is doing that. I, I typically do it on Christmas Eve in the morning and I love doing it. I'll probably do it a couple times this year. It's a great experience. And here's what, here's what I saw. Um, so when I stood out there ringing a bell, and I did it at the Market Street over on Quaker, um, People would come and drop stuff in. Sometimes they would go back to their car and get something. But I watched at several stores when there was no one there, but the kettle was there, but no one was standing there. People just walked right by it. Like sometimes just showing up 
could really invite, get some people to go out of their way to give. It's real easy to walk past a red kettle, but if you want to do that, it's a great experience for a family or a small group or some friends to do. I've loved it, but what I love is what they do and all that change adds up. So you can drop some change in here or maybe you want to scan the QR code and sign up to be a bell ringer this holiday season. I love it. Our heart behind this initiative isn't just to meet the needs of those in need. We, we want to do that. But we want to develop hearts that are others focused as a church. We want to develop those kind of habits. It's really important to us. And so as we're doing this giving initiative, we've been in this series called Giving Thanks. And we've been talking about how important it is to not just be thankful, but our response to being thankful is to be giving. That the best way to say thank you is to give because of God has given us so much. In week one, we talked about what's, God, what's, what's best for me. God's plan is always what's best for me. And we read, Paul wrote, wrote, give thanks, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful. And what I've noticed in my life is the more grateful I am, the more giving I tend to be. As a matter of fact, here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said this, you will be enriched in every way. God will do that for you. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, not just occasionally, on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's something about how generosity and giving, how gratitude and giving feed off each other. It's important. And those two habits could be life-changing for you. And the great thing is, is they end up being life-changing for others. You pack a shoebox, you fill a hygiene, hygiene kit, you put some money in a kettle, you ring a bell and get some people to give as well. You do something on every occasion to be generous and willing to share, and it makes a difference. Last week, Clay Thomas, who is playing electric today, who's our worship pastor, uh, you know, Live Oak is really gifted, uh, blessed to have two fantastic teacher, teachers and one pretty average one. Uh, Mark Porter, our executive pastor, a phenomenal teacher. Clay Thomas, phenomenal teacher. Thanks for putting up with me. I try to, to at least try and keep up. But last week, Clay was talking about this idea. And we're walking through this passage in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul is challenging people. And he goes, look, for what God wants for you, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to flee from what's wrong and pursue what's best. And it's a fight. And some of us are in a fight and we don't even know it. And when you're fighting for the habits of gratitude and generosity in your life, it's important for you because it's God's best for you, but it's also important for others. And when you fight that and you fight for gratitude and generosity, and then you end up fighting some of your spiritual battles with gratitude and generosity. And for some of us, like we're in a season where we're, we're pretty down or we're pretty beat up or we're grieving or we're complaining or we're bitter, like what, I, I, wherever you are, if there's a struggle, I promise you gratitude is a tool to fight with in that battle. Well, today I wanna keep walk, talking through, walking through this passage. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 6. And Paul says this, he says, command, not suggest. Command those who are rich in this present uh, in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Again, he says it, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Command those who are rich. Some of you might, when you hear that phrase, those who are rich think, oh, this one isn't for me. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about people how they pursue wealth 
and, and rich and those who have a lot. Sometimes when you think about those who are rich, you think it's somebody else. It's a little bit more than you currently have. I would challenge you to go spend that time in another part of the world. When we went uh, to pick, meet our kids for the first time in the Democratic Republic of Congo, I've never seen poverty like that in my life, ever. Um, people, I mean, buying a, ba- a 50 pound bag of beans so a, a, a schoolroom full of kids could eat for, for a week, it's like you're bringing in truckloads of money. Like when people have nothing, you realize that you have everything. Like you are more rich than you think. Here's the thing I've learned about kind of with, with finances. I always feel like I never have enough. But yet I know God always gives me more, more than I need. And this is why it's so important to track your spending because sometimes you realize there's a leak and you think I don't have enough money and it's kind of, or you're not paying attention to where it's going. But the more you pay attention to what you have, I dare you to look at it and see if there's not just a little bit more than you need. And for some of you, you're in a deep financial place right now. You don't have all that you need. Great, that's why we're supposed to help you. Like we need to be generous and willing to share. But for most of us, we're not in the I need help category. We're in the I need to help category. We think when it says those who are rich, it's not talking about me. It is, I promise you it is. He goes on to say this, he says, command those who are rich. And he says this, it's not to, bump, bump ahead a couple slides for me. There you go, one more. Not to, here's, he goes, here's what I'm commanding you to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. Don't be arrogant. Again, I can't always spot that I'm richer than I think I am. I also can't spot that I think about me a little bit more than I should. Arrogant is not walking around necessarily like what we typically picture as, it's simply thinking of yourself higher than you should. Now you have value, you matter to God. Think of yourself that way. You have value, you matter to God. Everybody matters to God but you don't matter more than the next person. And when push comes to shove, if I get in a situation when one person needs to get met and it's mine or yours, who do you think is gonna win out? Me. Here's something I thought about this last week. I never thought about this before. So God gave us eyes and I think we're designed how we're supposed to be. Although I think he could have added a little extra height on my design, but that's fine. Like I think he designed us like how it's supposed to be. And you've heard the phrase before, we have two ears and one mouth. We should listen more than we speak. You've probably heard that before. Here's the thing I was thinking about. Have you noticed something about your eyes? I can see every single one of you completely. I can see all of you, but I can't see all of me. I can look you in the eye. I can't look me in the eye. It's almost as if God said, I want you to be looking out for others more than looking at yourself. If I took a picture right now of the whole room and we put it up there on the screen, who would you look for first in that picture, right? We look at us. When we hear arrogant, we go, I'm not arrogant. Do you think of yourself more often than you should? Do you, think, do you need to think of others more often? He says, don't be arrogant. Don't be self-focused. Don't, nor put their hope in wealth. And some of us go, again, I'm not rich. I'm not arrogant. Some of us say, I don't put my hope in wealth. 
if you're in a financial crisis, the thing you're hoping for is that God would kind of meet that need, right? Like we focus on the solution more than the God who will be faithful through the process. There's something about sometimes our biggest answer to prayer is that just a check would show up. And sometimes that's how God provides. God has, we have a world that God knows it works on money. That's why he talks so much about it. But I can't put my hope in what God provides. I've got to put my hope in the God that provides. And we can put our hope and our wealth and the more we have, the more secure we feel, which means the less we feel our dependence on God. And he says, the thing about wealth, it's so uncertain. I talked to somebody this week. They had a lot, now they've got nothing. It can change in a minute. It's uncertain. So put your hope in what is certain. Put their hope in God. He is our hope. But the great thing about him is he richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Richly. You're rich. God will richly provide for you. Now, we've heard this in lots of different ways. Peter said it this way. He said this in, in uh, go ahead, First Peter, Second Peter, I'm sorry. His divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. If you wanna give a godly life and you think, I just can't do it, you're right. But his divine power can do that for you. And if you lean on that and trust in that, he'll do it and he'll give you everything you need to live a godly life. The thing is, living a godly life, he wants you to still enjoy it. As a matter of fact, it really is enjoyable living a godly life. As a matter of fact, talking about being selfish or selfless. Think about the last time you were generous to somebody. How did you feel? Did you feel like, wow, I felt some joy. I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm living a godly life. I'm sacrificing. I'm giving to others. Wow, it kind of, I feel pretty good. Kind of feel like the Grinch. My heart grew three sizes that day. Like suddenly something feels right. It's almost as if God designed us to be selfless, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? But it's not just for a godly life. It's this. Go, go ahead. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be erring, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. Put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for what? Our enjoyment. God wants to give you a life that's enjoyable. And again, but if you go back to week one, what's God's plan for me? It's always what's best for me. His way does lead to enjoyment. The thing is, I think I know how I can enjoy life best. And it's my way. God says, I'll wait. Do what you need to do. I'll, I'll be waiting here. You wait and see if being selfless isn't more enjoyable than being selfish. Go ahead, I'll wait. And he waits on us. I promise you, God will give you everything you need in life for enjoyment. That's the God we serve. That's the God who loves you. And then Paul gets very, very tactical. He meddles. He doesn't give some, some principles and some ideas. He says this, verse 18, command, again, not suggest, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Like this is how life is to be lived. This is what isn't a suggestion, it's a command because this is what's best for you. And when you do this, it's best for everybody. To do good, that, that's not something, not a, just a check we write, we invest our lives. To be rich in good deeds. Hey, you may not have a, a lot of money to give. Do you have some time? Do you have some talents? 
Do you have some words that you could be generous with in encouraging somebody? Could you just listen to somebody instead of using words? Could you do the two ears, one mouth thing and just say, hey, tell me about, about life right now and just listen. You can be generous in lots of ways and it never costs you a dime, but it'll always cost you something. And if it doesn't cost you something, you're doing it wrong. To be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. He says, this is how I want you to live. This is the way, 1 Timothy, the whole passage, it says this. Command those who are rich in this present world, it's more of you than you think, not to be arrogant. He's talking to more of you than you think. To not put their hope in their wealth, we do this more often than we think, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God. And this is the God we serve. He richly, generously, lavishly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, in this way, this is a way of life. This isn't an initiative you do once a year. It's not something you do every now and then. It is something you do constantly. It is the way you do life. And when you do life this way, in this way, here's, here's a great way of summarizing all this into a few phrases. He says, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Like you might even wanna just kind of take this passage and kind of look at those phrases and go, am I doing this? Or am I doing this? Am I doing anything? Am I just drifting? Like when you're intentional in this way, when you live this way, when you do that and you go, I'm not gonna focus on me, I'm gonna focus on others. I'm not gonna put my hope in my money. I'll be thankful for it and I'll be generous with it. I'll put my hope in God. I want him to be the center and the root of everything I do. I'm gonna try do good. Even walking into any situation and go, what good could I do here? How could I add value? How could I serve in this situation right here? How could I be generous with my good deeds? Not just do a, a random act of kindness of the day, but an intentional lifestyle of kindness. How could I do that? How could I be generous? How could I do more than is necessary? And this is the big thing. How could I be willing to share, to open my grip on what I have and recognize I've got more than I need because maybe God gave me enough so I could be willing to share. The thing about this phrase, willing to share, it's, it's a Greek word that means life on life. It's the idea that there's two lives that are overlapping and the resources of one is going to the other and they're connected. It's not a drive-by flipping them a quarter. It's a connection. And the biggest challenge of like a shoebox is we sent it to the other side of the world and you know, Clay Thomas taught last week, he said he actually got a letter back Sometimes we don't get that. You can actually track these and there are things you can hear that, but it, it's still kind of disconnected. They do a great job of trying to disconnect it, but it's important because they could easily be overlooked. Same thing with the hygiene kits. You may never meet the person who receives that. You may never receive the, see the person who's on the receiving end of the, the change or the, or the cash you put in the kettle. But in your life, when you can have connection and relationship with people in need, I think God loves that. And he goes, yes, because I don't want anyone to be alone. More than having their needs met financially, practically. Sometimes when you're in crisis, 
Having it met relationally is the game changer. So when he says willing to share, there's this other idea that it's connected and overlapping. That my eyes, I can't see myself fully. I've got to go out of my way to see what, look myself in the eye. I've got to look at a mirror, take a picture. But I, I've got to go out of my way to focus on me. God designed me so I could see you fully. Almost as if he wanted me to be looking to who I need to be willing to share with, connect with, and be generous with. It matters to you and it matters for others. It, and the thing is, it matters for eternity. He goes on and goes, in this way, doing all these things, they, you, will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. There is something that when you do this, it makes a difference here and in some way that we don't fully understand now, but someday we will, it does something in eternity. That someday I'm gonna stand before God and he's gonna say, did you lay up some treasure here? Because this is what matters. And you know what matters most to God are, are people. And so when you invest in people, when you serve people, when you're generous with people, I think what that day looks like when we see God face to face, when this life is done, I think he'll say, thank you for caring for my kids. Because those of us who are parents, when you take care of our kid, when you do something nice for our kid, when you protect or stand up for our kid, we take it personally. I mean, we joke about if you mess with our kid, you mess with us. We take that personally too. But think about when someone does something kind or generous for your children. Grateful to them. I think God will say thank you for how you cared for his kids around the world, across the street, in your life. And you lay up a firm foundation for the coming age. And here's what he says. He goes, this is why it's the way. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Some of us are living, our, living life, but we're not living truly living life. What is truly life? Jesus says, this is the way life's meant to be lived. And he kind of knows because he's the creator, right? Like he designed it. He designed it so we could see others more than we see ourselves. He designed it that we feel joy when we give and we serve. He designed it that people's needs are met because we're all looking out for each other. He says, that's how life works best. And what God's plan for you is always what's best for you. And last week, Clay referred to this verse. Paul is mentioning a teaching of Jesus. Do not store up for yourself treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Now is temporary. We like the temporary. We like the now. We, like, we think we know what's best for our enjoyment. It says, would you just trust that God knows best? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And he says, it's a heart issue. Clay talked about it last week. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you value gets its grip on you. What you prioritize takes hold of you. So when you're generous, you're looking at others, you're focusing on others, you're serving others. God says, that's what I want to get you to get a hold of that you would care for and love people so much that you'd be willing to generously give and sacrifice and do whatever it takes to help them. That's what I want to have your heart. That you'd be like your heavenly father who gives and who forgives generously. Again, back to 1 Timothy 6, 19, he says, when you do all that in this way, 
you may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is how life is meant to be lived. And it matters. One day you will stand before your creator. You have a conversation with him about how you did life. And that's not a day where you need to be fearful of. It's a day of celebration. But the thing about gratitude of why this is so important, how it keeps us grounded and keeping that day in mind is I could out of fear respond and go, well, I don't want God to be mad at me or something like that. God is a graceful, forgiving God. I could, I could have um, you know, greed and think about how much I can keep or I could have guilt and I'll do it because gosh, someone at church said I should or I feel bad. No, gratitude reminds you that God is generous and I wanna be more like him. He's making me more like him. So I'm gonna take hold of the life he has for me and trust that being generous to others is important. And the best expression of gratitude, the best way you can say thank you to God for everything he's done for you is simply to live a well-lived life. If you're thankful for what God's done for you, live life well. Live life the way he says it's meant to be lived. And the way we live uh, is an expression of the heart of our generous God. And I hope that our lives are a continual act of gratitude and generosity that is to keep going and going and going because that's, that's worship. And gratitude is so important because it keeps us grounded of what God has given us. And I love what Miroslav Volf says. He says this, God's gifts aim at making us into generous givers not just fortunate receivers. This is why gratitude and generosity are so important. When I say thank you, it keeps me from just being a fortunate receiver and it makes me a generous giver. When I say thank you, and then I practice generosity, I'm helping God achieve his end goal in my life. He didn't give you something just so you can enjoy life, that's part of it. He didn't give it to you just so you'll say thank you. He, he wants us to do that because it's not because he needs to hear it, it's because we need to say it to be reminded. But one of the end goals of gratitude is it makes us generous givers. God gives so that we in human measure can be givers too. You are so much like your heavenly father when you're generous. Which is why Paul said this, here's the passage again. Command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. And he would say this week, do good. Like that's your mission, that's your command. Execute, go do good anywhere you can, to everyone who can, and as long as you can, as much as you can. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. When people say, you know, how, 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 how many good, like how, what kind of good deeds was, were they doing this week? I wanted to say, man, they're like Scrooge McDuck. Like, it's like the, the big bank vault where they're diving in and swimming around the money kind of good deeds. Like they're generous. I mean, they're rich in good deeds. Like wearing a monocle and a top hat kind of good deeds rich. Like, like just how everything you do, like, wow. They've got good deeds and good deeds to spare. Good deed, good deed, good deed. Like that's how we live our life. And here's the thing is when you live life that way, you develop habits of doing good. As we've talked about the habits of generosity and gratitude, like these are habits we need. Doing good is a habit. And here's the thing that Clay talked about last week, the thing we need to fight for, being generous and willing to share, which means we have to fight against 
being selfish and wanting to keep. And in this way, it's a way of life. You will lay up treasure for yourself and as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is what God has for you and this is what God wants for you. And the reason we do these giving initiatives, again, just to remind you, it's not just to do good. That's part of it. We want to develop the habit of doing good. We want to develop a culture, like this is who we are. Like it's not just the November initiative. This is a March on a Tuesday action. We're going to always do this. And as a church, you know, um, COVID was was a challenging year and we were able to be generous as a church because you've been generous. We were able to meet some needs and, and even ongoing trying to reach out to healthcare providers and just tell them we appreciate them and doing things by, we never had to, uh, over the last two years, never had to cut back at all on our missionary support. And when a crisis came up, we were able to respond because you guys are doing this and we wanna keep doing this as a church. We want this to be who we are. These giving, this giving initiative serves multiple purposes. It's outside the walls, it makes an impact. It impacts others, but it develops a habit for us. And next weekend, we're gonna wrap this up. We're gonna wrap up the giving initiative. So I wanna tell you about one deadline and one that doesn't have a deadline. Next Sunday is when these are due, the, the shoe boxes or the, the hygiene kits. Return them next Sunday. Or next Sunday night, we're having a worship night that you can, hopefully you'll be here for that anyway, but that's the, that's the deadline for turning these in. I want you to know that deadline because I want you to take these and respond and have them back. But here's the thing that doesn't have a deadline. We're, we're gonna be a generous church because we're commanded to do that. We wanna be command, uh, individuals, disciples of Jesus that look like our heavenly father. We wanna develop families that are like that. We want to be a church that's like that because we have a world that needs that. <laughs> we could fill every shoebox and every hygiene kit and you know, stuff the kettles with money. And then you look at the world and go, did it make a dent? You ever felt that way? Like you give something and go, but did it really do that much good? I love what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Like, like when you do an act of generosity and no one sees it, sometimes those are the best ones. But your heavenly father sees that. And yeah, your giving may not make a dent, but when you're giving with the power of God behind you, it can make a difference now and for eternity more than you th- could ask or imagine. We give and we trust God with the results. We simply say yes to what he asks us to do and we trust him with the results. And it may not change the world, but it'll change your world and has the potential to change someone's world. And so that's why we do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us. And you love us so much that you are a generous giver. You gave us your one and only son, that when we believe in you, we experience eternal life. That we're adopted into your family because of your generosity. And then we start to look a lot like our heavenly father because that's what you do is you work in us and through us. You, you make us generous givers, not just fortunate receivers. And you want us to be generous and willing to share. Rich in good deeds and generous with our possessions because the world needs it. 
but also because that's what's best for us. It keeps us centered on you. It's part of the process of you making us look a lot like you as you change us from the inside out. God, whatever stands in the way of us being generous, help us to fight for it, to fight against that, to practice gratitude, to say thank you often, to recognize how much we've been given and how much we have to give. But God, you also didn't just give, give to us so we can give away. You also give to us for our enjoyment. You want us to enjoy life. And I'm a lot quicker to rally around the enjoying life than to believe in you that the most enjoyable life is the one that's generous and selfless. God, I pray you'd make us look a lot more like you this week and the world would see you clear because of our following you and pointing to you. But I also pray that the gifts that we give as a church, whether it be an Operation Christmas Child Box, a Lubbock Impact Hygiene Kit, putting money in the kettle or signing up to ring a bell, whatever it is, for people who've been given generously to Live Oak, and we're so grateful for that. God, I pray that you would multiply that impact of that, that you would make a difference through it that would impact lives now and for eternity. Thanks for including us. Thanks for all that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Next week, worship night will be here. I hope you'll be here for that. Uh, deadline for hygiene kits, shoe boxes are next Sunday. Thanks for being here.